Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning. My name is Ali, and I'm a community member here at The Well. I serve in toddlers and go to the Parker Station CG. I'm going to be reading from the Song of Solomon this morning. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Your anointing oils are fragrant. Your name is oil poured out. Therefore, virgins love you. Draw me after you. Let us run. The king has brought me into his chambers. We will exult and rejoice in you. We will extol your love more than wine. Rightly do they love you. I am very dark but lovely, O daughters of Jerusalem. Like the tents of Kedar, like the curtains of Solomon, do not gaze at me because I am dark. Because the sun has looked upon me, my mother's sons were angry with me. They made me keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. Tell me, you whom my soul loves, where you pasture your flock, where you make it lie down at noon. For why should I be like the one who veils herself beside the flocks of your companions? If you do not know, O most beautiful among women, follow in the tracks of the flock and pasture your young goats besides the shepherd's tents. I compare you, my love, to a mare among Pharaoh's chariots. Your cheeks are lovely with ornaments, your neck with strings of jewels. We will make for you ornaments of gold studded with silver. This is the word of the Lord. That was good, y'all. How are we? Bow chicka bow wow. Song of Solomon, we ready? Um, hey, I know that some of y'all were excited when you heard we were doing this series. Some of y'all were real nervous too, all right? So uh, especially my wife, I think she was the most nervous of them all. I promised her that I would give her no analogies or stories about her during this series, though that would very much be following in the heart of this song, all right? But we're going to keep it PG-13 in this mug. However, I will say from the jump, uh, if you have kids in here and do not feel like having that conversation just yet, go ahead and check them in. Y'all feel me? It ain't weird to move. All right. So we're going to be in this song for the next seven weeks. And we're going to be talking about attraction, dating, marriage, sex, conflict, uh, covenant depth, singleness, friendships, and all other sorts of relational themes. And so if you're new to the scriptures or you are new to church, you might be shocked to hear all of what's packed into this book. That said, though, uh, just because the church has done a historically poor job uh, of discipling their people with regards to sexual things, I do think it's really important that we begin this sermon and this series with about seven different caveats so that we know where we're going. It's like a a seven-layer bean dip in this mug, all right? Um, And so I want to give several caveats in this week so that I don't have to continue to give caveats in the following weeks. We're just gonna look back to this sermon and say, hey, remember the first five minutes of that one, it'll carry us through as well. So congratulations, you're here week one, you don't gotta hear any of this the rest of the weeks, all right? Um, So several things that will make this book genuinely rich for you and avoid the pitfalls of over-sensualizing the scriptures or avoid the pitfall of over-pruticizing the scriptures. Yes, that's a word, you can look it up. Churchurbandictionary.com, all right? Prudicizing. Uh, as we begin this book, it's important to know several things. First of all, this book is filled with tons of poetry. 
And because of this, there are several different things about this book, which is harder for us to understand as opposed to like stories or accounts or commands. Because it's poetry, the book does not follow a linear pattern. That's the first thing that's important for us to know. The lovers don't begin with attraction, then dating, then marriage, sex, kids, death, all right? And so while we'll be taking aspects of their relationships somewhat linearly, the book is not designed in this way at all. It's more of a collection of songs to make up a song of all songs. So sometimes you'll see all of the aspects of relationship in the course of just a couple of verses. And then the next part, they're like not married anymore. And then the next part they are. And so, so it's really important for us to realize this is really a collection as a whole. To get the full weight of the book, you have to get the full book in a chunk which is impossible for us to do on a Sunday morning, unless y'all trying to be here till 5 p.m., hallelujah, okay? And so it's not linear. Uh, Second of all, there's a ton of poetic and literary devices of imagery portrayed throughout this. That's because it's meant to be beautiful, but also it's meant to be meditated upon. It's in the wisdom literature section of the Bible for a reason. And so like the Psalms, though they are beautiful, they are also layered with all of this wisdom. And so the song is poetic. It though also is wisdom literature. And so in it being wisdom literature, it's meant to be studied, not just admired. And so there's wisdom to be gleaned in every little section. Really what we should be asking after almost every sentence is, what is the wisdom layered underneath this? We should read this more like Proverbs than we should read this like poetry. And so this is an understanding we got to grasp to get the depth of this. Uh, Thirdly, as we'll see even in the account today, uh, most of the things that we assume are biblical cultural norms or present modern Christian norms are completely shattered in this song. Love does not always follow this clean path and pattern like we would wish. And for us to be able to understand the depth of this, we might have to remove some of the lenses that we see scripture with and assume what the scriptures mean, though our assumptions, as we will see, are often faulty. And so it's important that you journey with us in the midst of this and remember that this is a poetic song, but at large, we take it in this measurement of wisdom and, and, and grace. And if we do that, I think we'll bleed through it. We'll, we'll seep through this depth of the song that you can't really get just by a kind of high level reading, okay? And so along with some of the book caveats, so we understand how to read it more, I also wanna start with some relational caveats and some commendations for people in different stages of life. Because while everyone is mentioned in this book, right? Like singles are mentioned, older married couples are mentioned, there are young people, there are women, men. Uh, This book is primarily focused on two very specific lovers and their overwhelming love for one another. And so that can leave this book feeling like a bouquet toss at a wedding. All the single women get isolated to the same Beyonce song. Right? And then there's this weird thing where like, if you catch the bouquet, then somehow you are going to find a man as well and get married next. 
And because you know that's trash, you either decide not to go do that, or you kind of hesitantly go there and you feel really awkward as everybody's looking at you and it feels kind of strange. There's a temptation to do that with this book as well. That if we've been married for a while, it may feel like, oh, we got marriage in the bag. We don't really need this. Or if we're single, it can feel like, ah, we don't really need this. But I want to contend with you, that is not true. This is not like a bouquet toss. First of all, if we're single, many of y'all may end up married. And so to learn about how to think and to pursue and to apply marriage principles long before you get married is wisdom, hence the wisdom literature. Uh, Only a foolish person would choose to learn from their own heirs rather than studying the success and the heirs of others. And if God is writing this for you to learn how to do this now, maybe even long before the reality of your marriage is present, that is a wise and a good thing. You will be more prepared like the lovers in this book are, and so it's good for us to learn. Secondly, though, and this is the one that I want you to catch most importantly, um, if you are a Christian, you are currently married, or at least engaged to be married, Marriage is ultimately a shadow or a fragment, a blurry picture of the better and more true reality of Christ and the church. Ephesians chapter five tells us, marriage may be the greatest earthly relationship that we are able to see that represents our heavenly relationship between Christ himself, meaning to understand how to take these principles and then begin to apply them, not just to our earthly marriages today, not just to a human spouse, but to a divine husband will begin to so deeply enrich your relationship with Jesus that you will begin sounding like the woman of this song to her husband with your savior, meaning that there's depth between you and Jesus to be had that most of us, if we're honest, have never experienced. If there are portions of this song that make us somewhat uncomfortable in our seats, but we're not able to connect them to Christ, our relationship isn't as intimate as God desires it to be. There is an ability for us to have this intimacy with God, which how wild is it, y'all? that the God of the universe, the most high, is not just willing, but actually desirous to relate to us as a bride. Like not servant-slave relationship, not humans to be pitied relationship. He wants to see you as his beloved spouse. Y'all, I need more than one amen on that mug, all right? This is wild, y'all. Like Jesus wants this intimacy with you. And if we learn how to see this song, not just between two human lovers, but take Ephesians 5 and go, oh, this also applies to me in Christ. There's intimacy to be had that our souls are longing for, family. And so even if you're like, I ain't never finna get married. That's okay. If you're a Christian, you will. It'll be in the kingdom and you can experience that now today, okay? And so learn to prepare, yes, but even to apply it to Jesus Uh, Thirdly, I want to say, even if we're not married or if we feel like we got marriage in the bag, to be able to disciple people biblically about healthy romantic relationships is deeply important in the body of Christ. I think about Huli, who is a single woman. And as I think about her, I've seen her disciple all of these married women, even though her herself never experiencing marriage. It's because experience is not the only teacher family. 
Wisdom is as well. And so if you learn the wisdom of this, you can also build up your brothers and sisters in Christ who are married to help create this beauty in the midst of their marriage. All of us have a part to play in the family of God. And so it's important that we get that and apply that. We need single people, even as we'll see in this very song, to support, develop, and protect, and then build our marriages. And so those are all my caveats to the series, all right? And so if you're here this first week, once again, congratulations. The first 30 seconds when I'm like, hey, there's these caveats, go back and listen to the first sermon. You don't have to listen to the first 30 seconds, the next seven weeks, all right? You can keep setting up your giving or or look across the room and figure out who you're trying to date in this mug, all right? All right, so today I wanna talk about the first step in romantic relationships, and that is the step of attraction. Uh, Now I say first, but much like the gospel, you do not graduate from any of the steps in this song. Hopefully, if you've been married for 50 years, you are still madly attracted to your spouse. You've just matured enough to realize over the years the attraction that actually matters, and it extends way past the physical. In fact, if you've been married for 20 years and you're still really struggling with lust and physical attraction, it's probably because you're not applying the wisdom of this song. You're thinking that attraction is physical only when the mature in the room would go, no, there's a much deeper attraction that spurs our hearts in much more beautiful ways. And so none of the things in the songs do we ever graduate from, much like the gospel message itself. And so we should learn to apply this, even if we're veterans at marriage. And so why is attraction important? Uh, Why has God put attractive desires in our hearts? Even things sometimes we try to pray away from our hearts. Like, God, I don't wanna feel this. God keeps it in there. Why does he do that? And what should we be attracted to? Because some of us be out here attracted to dudes that look like boo-boo to foo. Right? And the Bible would tell you that your future marriage ain't gonna produce the song of all songs if you're attracted to dudes like that. And if you marry boo-boo to foo, by the way, right? There is still an ability for the Holy Spirit of God to do unbelievable work as we submit to his wisdom. So let's learn how to apply this. Christ transforms fools into wise men. Amen. All right. So let's dive into this song of songs. That's how this starts. The song of songs. All right. This means the best of all songs. It's like the Lord of Lords or the Holy of Holies. This is the song in the entire universe of the world. This is a love song. And so very clearly it is in the R&B genre. Ancient, genuine, be up here like looking good, looking fine, all right? Aaliyah or her hops on the mic, all right. Which quickly there, that idea which, it says which is Solomon's, uh, is likely a way to communicate. This is in a wisdom literature like how Solomon wrote. It is a poetic proverb. It is really unlikely that Solomon wrote this because these two are deeply in love and they act as if they're the only two in the universe for each other. Solomon had 700 wives. He was on his Will Chamberlain out here, right? And so I doubt this was about Solomon. So when you see that idea, which is Solomon's, what you should do there is go, oh, this is wisdom. This is like a proverb. This is like an Ecclesiastes. I should not just read this as poetry. I should glean the wisdom from it. And so for the rest of this series, I'm going to intentionally try to call this the Song of Songs 
because that's what it says there. I don't think Solomon wrote this, but it is in the wisdom literature of Solomon. And Solomon is depicted in this song as an image of who this man is, a kingly person. Now notice here, the first player in this skit of love is she, right? We will later meet her as the Shulamite. And so we're gonna call her this throughout the series. Now you would assume that it would start off with the man because he's the man, we're talking about attraction, the society and the culture, etc. However, we start off with the main character, the woman. Now here's the interesting thing. She speaks 53% of this song as opposed to his 34%. In fact, the Shulamite speaks first, she speaks most, and she is very clearly the sexual aggressor throughout most of this literature, breaking down both ancient and present stereotypes. So the whole, well, the guy has to pursue or he's not a real man, immediately shows it's not necessarily true. Now, I'm not giving guys a pass to be passive, right? But it isn't bad for the woman to be attracted and to even begin that process of attraction See how many of us immediately need to shift some of our cultural lenses to be able to even read this song, let alone apply this song, right? Like the Bible as a whole, this book in specific, will never support a male's dominance over a woman. And so I love as you start talking about this intimacy of marriage, the Bible allows her to breathe and to be who God has made her to be. The Bible always shows this co-laboring side-by-side complementary effort with one another. And so married women, it is okay to pursue. You don't have to be the aggressor. If that's not how God has created and wired you, that is totally okay, but you can be free to be that as well. Single ladies, if you see a homie you're attracted to and you hang around after church and he's carrying seven chairs over to the wall and he stops and grabs yours too, whoo, you better invite that man to lunch, right? All right, and so it's okay to pursue. Now we'll see here, she's deeply attracted. She's beginning the pursuit and she's attracted to him. As we see this song unfold, we see there's a ton to be admired about this individual. When he speaks in the act, we'll see that he is also deeply attracted to her as well. And so attraction and pursuit plays this key role in romantic relationships. The trick is, what should we be attracted to? That's the proverb-like question that we're asking today that this section deeply answers. What is it that we should be attracted to? This entire song, including this section, gives these cues, okay? And so first of all, we see her opening up trying to kiss homie, right? because she's physically attractive to him. Uh, Physical beauty, as we will see, is both an okay and a good thing throughout the scriptures. Notice that she really likes dude, in fact. Like she's even drunk off of his love. This good wine is what he reminds her of. It is intoxicating. And so that means affection is a really powerful thing, but it can also make you drunk. And so it should be used in a godly and in an honoring way. Some of y'all missed that. I'll pick you up later, okay? Notice, right? She delights in his touch and in his taste, but also not just those physical features, but in his fragrance as well. She loves the way that he smells. He does not smell like a high school boys gym locker room. Men, in case you did not know, that's attractive. Saying homie brushed his teeth, that means. He threw some cologne on every once in a while. He ain't walking out here trife, right? 
like he was trying, in other words. You see the practical wisdom? And he made her attracted to him. Um, Husbands, are you still trying? Like once again, laced within this poetry is all of this wisdom on romance, right? This is as much proverb as it is poetry. So if we can learn to kind of read between the lines, we'll get a ton of wisdom and even conviction from this. And we'll see what scripture is telling us to do to both kindle, but also to maintain love. By the way, the ladies were already talking. I heard y'all, right? Like, yes, amen. You ain't never talked before. Now you about to do a praise dance in this mug, right? Come on, talk to me. It's good, all right? And so it's a godly thing to be up here trying, all right? Because some of y'all be on these streets not even trying, y'all, right? Like, she better love me for who I am. Like you, Usher, or Michael B. Jordan in this mug, all right? You better spray some cologne on you, dog, with your five self. At least get to a five and a half, all right? So realize, right, she's attracted to him, right? But it's not just because of his looks. In fact, look at verse four there. His character is the climax of her attraction, hence it being mentioned after everything else. Your name in Hebrew was a representation of somebody's character and their person. So she says, hey, as good as you smell, which I think is fine, right? Like I'm about that. Your name, it's like oil poured out. And so you kind of spray some cologne. Yeah, that is nice to me. But your name, it's like a cologne spilled all over a room. It is fragrant. It is overwhelming. It is that much more that I am into is what she is saying there. In fact, she says, all the girls, the virgins, that's who they are. All of them be trying to holler at you right? Which there's an important point. I'll grab that in a minute. But his character is the most important and the most attractive thing. You see, often when we think about love and romance, we get so caught up in the smells and in the looks and in the charisma of somebody that we miss the most important thing. Look, those things are good. Even like fine wine, those things can be intoxicating, but it is important that you do not drink those things too much and you get so intoxicated that you cannot see what actually matters, the person's character. Come on, we talking in this mug, right? Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says that charm is deceptive and beauty, by the way, y'all, it's fleeting, but a woman who loves the Lord is to be praised. Now listen, this is written to, from a mother to a son, but you can easily translate this male or female, depending on who's writing. A woman or a man who loves the Lord, right, is to be praised. And so just because homie is jacked, right, and just because he makes some money or just because he talks a good game and pursues you is not enough for genuine love to truly flourish, Because a man may make you feel loved, but only have the character to carry that love for a short season. And when it comes up lacking in marriage, there's a deep void because you got drunk off of his charm. Married people, this applies too, right? Don't lose it. Single people, think about Christ, okay? Like uh, begin to learn how to apply this. There's crazy truth if we can go both ways. So look, many men and many women, they only have the physical features or the right emotional connection, but they are woefully short in their character, in their name, and in their godliness. And if that is the case, what you will find is that they can pay with their looks for some charm-filled dates, but they cannot pay with their character a glory-filled marriage. Be wary, be wary. How can you tell if character is actually there? Well, look, this is where the importance of friendships come in. We all play a role in each other's lives. 
She's like, look, all the girls are crazy about you, right? That's the virgins in this text. And it's not because you're fine either. It's because your character. It's because you love Jesus. And then look at verse four. All of a sudden, the others show up in this romantic scene that's supposed to be between two people. And she's talking about intimacy and sex. And the others are like, yeah, get it, <laughs> right? Like they too are acknowledging homie's character. They're saying, yes, that is very, very attractive. You should want to be around that type of character. Point, what is the point of wisdom? Have others in your romance. If you don't, you will likely get drunk and miss a deeper truth. Married folk, have others in your marriages that remind you of how awesome your husband or your wife is because other people be out here trying to make you drunk and you need to learn to drink from your own cistern, right? And one of the ways to maintain this attraction that matters is by having others come in and preach truth to us and go, here is what is true. And even if what we see may be missing or drunk, they can come into our life and go, this is a better truth. This is where we need community, y'all. We ain't just out here gathering for gathering's sake. We need to be in each other's lives. Let me stay on point, okay? There's a ton I wanna say on this, but I ain't got enough time. Talk about this more in community groups this week like why it's important to be in each other's lives, okay? But notice uh, this climax of character leads her to be like, yo, I'm trying to practice making babies right now. Let's go get a room, right? King, lead me into your chamber. Let's get it on, right? (laughs) Does character do that for you? If not, you might be attracted to the wrong thing. Did y'all hear me? Is it physical that makes you want to do verse four? Or is the thing that turns you on the most somebody's character? Because if it's physical, you may be attracted to the wrong thing. Maybe not the, the best thing. I'll say it like that. Now, real quick, we'll talk about sex way more in future weeks, but I do wanna seed that thought process a little bit so that you can know where we are going. Sex is never, ever sinful when it is done in God's way. You know, God created sex. It wasn't Satan, right? Like Genesis chapter two, God's like, go have babies. And in case you ain't know how babies were made, some of y'all still missed it. Genesis two, they were naked and unashamed. Genesis three, they were covered and filled with shame. Many of us have been taught usually implicitly, at times even from the church, that sex is almost always sinful. And then eventually we begin to feel shame about sexual things, which is a Genesis 3 fallen type of feeling, not a Genesis 2 redeemed type of feeling. And we carry this shame into our marriages so we don't see these things properly and rightly. Genesis chapter two should be the type of norm that you feel within your marriage towards your spouse. Now, not right away and not always, we're still fallen, broken human beings. We will carry junk into our marriage, but there's a possibility for us to fight for the garden once again in every single aspect of our lives, marriage included particularly maybe in the cases of our marriages. It's ironic, y'all, because a lot of us feel Genesis 2 type of feeling when we're dating, only to then feel Genesis 3 types of feelings when we're married. You don't think there's spiritual warfare in your marriage, y'all? You better pray against the enemy, shoot. All right, so sex is good. Sex is actually holy when it is done right. 
We'll talk about that explicitly in future weeks. But she's attracted to Homie's character, right? This is the most important thing. And this makes her want to then be intimate with him, making us ask, is character the number one driver of our affection and of our attraction? And do others see that character as well? Because everybody else saw it in his life as well. And so is this what you are attracted to, saints? Because if it is, then it will begin to create the song of all songs in your marriage and in your relationship with God as you will learn how to apply that vertically as well. However, then something really interesting happens, all right, that both takes us out of this kind of fantasy perfect world and puts us into the real world and ironically through that brokenness allows the character that she's talking about in verse four to shine when the man does come on the scene. Notice she's really attracted to him, but then verse five comes out and she does not feel very physically attractive herself meaning this isn't some idealized love story, like this is real life, meaning this song can be true in each of our lives, y'all. That should be deeply encouraging to you. This is not just ethereal, like this can be very practical. Verse five and verse six, quick context for us so we know what we're doing here. In that culture, if you were a city girl, it usually meant that you came from more wealth, more money, and because of that, you were much more fair-skinned. Now in that culture, the people group that we're talking about, they were naturally fairly dark. But when you were inside, you began to get lighter and you looked like a light-skinned person. But when you were out in the field, you naturally got darker. And so you could tell socioeconomically and, and through other means what was happening here. And so she is a country girl. The tents of Kadar that you see there are black, black, black. In fact, they're literally made from the, the wool of black sheep. So these are very, very dark. And so this woman, because of the region that she's in, we already know she's actually a black woman, but here we see she's extremely dark and she's self-conscious about that. Um, which, what time is it? Can I say this to women in general, uh, but especially to minority sisters in the room? You better rebuke the lies of Satan in culture, y'all. Culture would like you to believe that there is a certain standard of beauty as if God did not intentionally create you the way that he created you as a reflection of the most beautiful one himself. God created you in his image and in his likeness and God is nothing but beautiful. There is no blemish in him. He made you in his image, y'all. You better reject the lies of the devil. I'm about to cuss up on this high school stage pulpit, all right? Let me get back on, okay? Um, it's hard though, right? Like that's hard. Even me saying that, it's like, no, that's hard because look at the story. Look at what's making her believe this about herself. Why is she so dark? Well, she was outside because apparently her stepbrothers made her work the fields. Therefore, she says she couldn't take care of her own vineyard, her own physical beauty in the way that she desired to. And so let's paint the picture. Stepbrothers, that means she came from a broken family. The fields which probably means she came from an impoverished family and they made her work, which means she probably came from a bad and maybe even an abusive family. Y'all, this just got real, real. Notice she's apologetic. 
rather than defensive, which means she probably has some wounding, some trauma, some scars, and likely baggage because of this. Each of us are going to be carrying baggage in our relationships because none of us can make it in this broken world without getting cut up in some way, shape, or form, y'all. And at times in marriage, we get surprised and realize that we're friends with and married to sinners, like both sin that we do, but also sin done to us that taints the way that we view things. And what happens is if we're intoxicated on attraction and miss the fact that sin sucks and tries to wound, then we will not allow our character to come through and to begin to create healing in a way that only character can. Y'all hear me? I don't care how good he or she looks, he or she cannot heal you with his good looks in a way that character can, y'all. Character, the word spoken of truth is what actually brings healing. I hope you meditate on that some. But notice, right, this is here, not just so we can feel bad about her story, but it's wisdom literature, which means it's trying to highlight a deeper truth. And so she's self-conscious of her looks. She's self-conscious because she was mistreated. But verse seven, she still desires this man's love. But then remember the man's character? Look at how he responds to this in verse eight. He calls her beautiful. Despite what the culture and despite what her brothers says about her, he sees a better truth. In fact, this man is overwhelmed by that truth. He would go on to call her beautiful 13 times in the midst of this poem, despite the fact that he doesn't speak as often as she does. Do you see this man's character? Are y'all picking up the wisdom here? right? Where she says, gosh, I'm unattractive. He says, that's not true about you, right? Notice he's talking about tents in this passage as well. Remember, she just negatively compared herself to the tents of Kedar. Now he's using the same imagery, but speaking a better truth into her life, which means he's listening to her and responding to what she needs. Do you see this man's character? Are you attracted to people who listen, who really begin to try to do a Christ-like work in your life? And remember, apply this vertically. That means that that's what Christ does to you too, family. So when you feel darkened by sin and unlovable, Christ hears that and responds to exactly what you need. Remember to apply this vertically. So men, are you a good listener? Do you try to build her up to love her, to even be the present person of Christ in the midst of brokenness? And by the way, this applies both ways. We're just specifying it because of what the text did today. Notice he calls her my love. This in Hebrew is like a pet name. It's like a name that would only be given between two people. In fact, like beautiful, he actually calls her my love, this sweet, intimate name nine times throughout this song as well. And so her stepbrothers may have mistreated her and the world may have wounded her with their words and their actions, but he will not. He's going to build her up with his words and his actions. And that's attractive, y'all. That some good looks or some good smell or some good charm could never do for you. Therefore, if you're mainly attracted to good looks, that's what you will get, but you will not get soul healing character. Be careful out on these streets, y'all. Be careful out here, right? I mean, look, look, look. He tells her, you're like a horse. <laughs> that sounds like a diss at first, right? He's like, ooh, girl, looking like a horse in this mug, right? But Marcia Falk, a scholar and a commentator, she says this about this song. She said, a man compares his beloved to a mare in Pharaoh's chariotry. 
An image that becomes especially puzzling when one discovers that in ancient Egypt, only stallions, never mares, drew chariots. But the Egyptians' enemies would set mares loose during war to drive Pharaoh's stallions wild. And this is the crux of the metaphor. That's dope, y'all. So she's like, all the ladies love you. And he's like, girl, you be driving these men crazy. Right? I told her this is an R&B song, but maybe it's like a country song. They talk about horses and stuff in this mug, all right? Um, and then he buys her stuff, verse 10, to accentuate her beauty. And other people are like, yeah, we want to bless y'all too. But I ain't got time or the budget to exegete that section. <laughs> Natalie be like, where are my ornaments of splendor? I'm like, girl, I ain't like Solomon or whoever this dude was. He was rich. You better be attracted to my character, shoot, all right? Now listen, there's tons of applicable points for us here. Uh, this is wisdom literature, which means the more you reflect on it, the more gold it will produce. So reflect on a lot of this and we can uh, draw apart all these points. And so some of the applicable points are, are, are like, like why does she call him both a king and also a shepherd? As you reflect on it, it'll breathe unbelievable truth, y'all. But thinking about attraction, it is important for us to understand that this text, it never says what you should be attracted to. God, much like diversity in our culture or diversity ethnically, he's even made us diverse and unique in our preferences. And so the Bible isn't saying this is what you should be attracted to. In fact, we'll see later that this man is attracted to really uh, interesting things about her. Like he loved that the Shulamite had a really, really long neck. Like apparently it was real long, y'all. I'm like, I'm cool with regular length necks, but homie liked long necks, so do you, right? Okay, and so the Bible doesn't describe, here's what you should be attracted to. All this saying is attraction is important, y'all. It is important, but what is really important, what are you really attracted to? That's the wisdom of this song. Notice even him, he's not attracted to her because of her look only. Though, she, though he thinks that she's fine, the culture may not think that she's fine and he doesn't care about that. He doesn't care about what the culture says. So it's important that we not allow culture to preach to us what standards of beauty are and then submit to the culture rather than submit to your Imago Dei, y'all. Like she thought because of culture that she was too dark, but he does not allow this to blind him to her character. Additionally, he's not attracted to her because of her class or what she could bring to him. Remember she was poor? So she likely doesn't add a whole lot of human value, earthly value to his life through her status, but she's a godly woman as we will see as well, which means she adds eternal value to his status. He's chasing what actually matters, y'all. We need to realize what actually matters. And so just as character makes her want to make love to him, so the same is true with him to her. There's a ton of practical wisdom here. Like compliment each other all the time. Easy practical wisdom, right? Like, like most women are insecure, but ladies, a little hint, most men are at times even more insecure. They just don't talk about it as much. Cause Satan be out here lying to both of us, y'all. And so build up with your words, edify one another. Others, friends, we all have a part to play in the midst of this story. There's all these practical nuggets, but listen, y'all. The way I wanna end this, what's, what's interesting is that the world tells us what we should be attracted to, looks and personality and charm. And in irony, what the world says we should be uh, attracted to are the things that are hardest to gain, they're the most stressful to maintain, and they're the quickest things to fade over time. 
But the things that will actually satisfy our soul, things of eternal value, things that never fade are things that we tend to look at with less affection or attraction. Do not allow your heart to be discipled by the world, family. It's as if we keep allowing the world to make disciples of us rather than the scriptures to make disciples of us. Let's not do that. And do you know what this will do for you over the long haul? Like brothers, if your woman loves Jesus, dog, praise God for real. Ladies, if your man loves the Lord, sheesh, you better, you better, all right, come on. Here's the reality, y'all. Here's the important thing. No love song is complete without love himself shining into it. So for all of us trying to do marriage and dating without the love of God in the midst of it, it will end up short because only he can really provide the things that we need. As we think about what we're attracted to and even how to make ourselves more attractive, we find this wild truth that though in theory, you and I should be very unattractive to God, yet he pursues us nonetheless despite what the culture might say about us, despite the fact that you and I may have been darkened by sin's taint, despite the fact that you and I have some wounds and some drama, God comes through and pursues you nonetheless. Our redemption is a love story that is unable to be told between two human beings. And that's why if we learn how to apply this vertically, it will explode this in life and truth, y'all. For as great as this song is, there is a much greater song being sung about you in heaven. Do you hear it singing over you, saints? Do you hear that song, God's love, his redemption, his pursuit over you? You see, this book doesn't just hit on our present or non-present romantic desires. Buried within this song is this greater picture of this love story that's being written about us from the true king and the true shepherd, Christ himself. You see, this book not only teaches us how to handle romance well, but it points to something significantly deeper, how Christ is romancing us and how we can receive that romance from him. Do you sense the truth within this, y'all? Do you realize that God should not have been attracted to you? Like for real, like, like we were beaten up like her with the brothers. We were darkened by sin's tape. This woman incorrectly deemed herself with less worth and less value, but you and I would be correct in deeming ourselves not having much worth or value to God. And yet God said, so great is his worth and value towards you that he would trade his own blood for yours that he might become one with you. Oh my gosh, brothers and sisters of Christ. Like, like for some reason, so attractive are we to Jesus, despite the fact that our character does not measure up like this, y'all. Despite the fact that we do not have what it takes, Jesus would still shower us with affection and with love and would ultimately die for us. Jesus is the most beautiful thing in all of eternity, but he would become a man losing all of his beauty so that we who are not beautiful might now be beautiful in him, y'all. This is good news. Isaiah 53, verse two, right? I love this verse. It says that Jesus, he had no form or no majesty that we should look at him. This is the exact opposite picture that we see of Christ in heaven, right? And yet here comes Jesus becoming the suffering servant on our behalf and no beauty that we should desire him. He died and was not even recognizable as a human. 
What the Shulamite thought she was, darkened by the sins of others, Christ actually became. He too was mistreated by his brothers. He too was the vine dresser, taking care of the field, having no help. Why? So that we who were unattractive to God might now be the sweet aroma of character to Christ. So that Revelation says, even our prayers are now like aroma to God himself. That when he looks at you, he sees beauty, family. If you are a believer in Jesus, you are caught up in the ultimate love song. And the others are like the angels that are looking on, celebrating the love of he and she, of Christ and his bride, as he weds us together one day. And they're saying, blessing, holy is that love. This is how your God sees you. This all happens because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, the curtains of Solomon torn that you and I might have access. And so as we look at this wisdom, I would say, ask the Holy Spirit to help you to apply it, right? Like in marriages, I can give you 15 things. Don't be lazy. Keep blessing your spouse with words. Woo them with attraction. Don't lose interest. In singleness, understand what makes you attractive. Make sure you're attracted to the right thing. In friendship, help your people. Shoot, the streets be hot in this mug and y'all don't be saying nothing, right? Like, and bless, by the way, don't be a hater. Celebrate love because it'll ultimately come back around and bless you as we'll see later in this song. But for all of us, if we recognize there's no reason for Christ to be drawn to us, yet he is head over heels infatuated with you, that where you may feel like the Shulamite walking in this morning, you better walk out feeling like the most important, most beautiful person in the world, because that's how Christ sees you, family. And as that happens, and as we receive that, guess what happens? Our character starts being transformed. And he begins to make us more and more into the image of himself. And we start looking more and more like this perfect picture that is drawn, that is possible for us. You and I are caught up in a love story. Your soul better rejoice over that, beloved. This is the song of song, chapter one. And I pray that we would always be an attractive people. Not because we swole, not because we smell good. Each of us are attracted to different things, but because we're valuing character, we're building it up in others and we're recognizing Christ's attraction to us. Amen? Amen. I love you all. Don't take crazy, by the way. Shoot, all right? Let's pray together. Oh, Jesus, true and holy Father, precious and good God, anointed and lifted up Savior, the most beautiful thing in the world. The most beautiful thing from eternity past to eternity future is you, Jesus. You are beautiful. Not just because you're splendorous to look at, though that is true. Not just because you have charm, though that is true. Look at your words. People were, were, were confounded over the way that you spoke but you're beautiful because you have perfect character. Your name is oil spilled out and your name would end up being blood spilled out that we might be drawn to you. And so Christ Jesus, I pray that we'll be drawn to you. That we'll be filled with this affection, with this love, with this intimacy with you, Jesus. 
God, I pray for those in this room who are struggling in relationship or who are pursuing relationship or who desire that. I genuinely do pray you would bless that, Jesus. Relationships are godly and good and from you. And so bless that, Christ, with your anointing and your presence. Allow us to be a people who do relationships well. Bless our marriages, protect them, God. Heal us, Holy Father, where we have been wounded by others, even those within our marriages. You're the husband. You can do that, Jesus. I believe that. I believe you can do that today. And a word that could bring like, ah, longing or even shame, you could turn it around and say, this is me to you. And I pray that, that you would do that for my sisters, for my brothers here in this room. And Christ, more than all of that, what I ask is that for all of us who have walked in and we do not have a relationship with love himself, that we do not know you as our husband, as our God, as our savior, I pray that we would walk out of this room realizing that you love us. You laid down your life that we might come to you. And if we believe in you, that is us saying yes to your proposal to us. That is yes to us saying, we wanna marry you one day. We wanna be there in heaven forever. You have proposed to each of us. I pray that we would respond. And Christ, for those of us who have responded, I pray that we would recognize your love for us and that we would then translate that into love for our brother and our sister in you, Christ. We love you, Jesus. We bless you. God, I pray for those who are looking in relationships for something that only you can give, that they would find that even as we sing songs of worship to you now. Praise in your beautiful name, Jesus. Amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.